As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. Um, he has a great record. In my opinion, one of the most underrated players in the UK. Um, I'm not being sycophantic, Julian. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll take um, it. Yeah. Uh, double G UKPT winner, um, EPT main event Baden in 2007 winner, and a regular face on the UK circuit and you know also the EPTs. How are you doing today, Julian? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, we've got a couple of kids back at school, so it makes things a little bit easier. Yeah, the the, the famous life balance between poker and family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it took a few years to, to get our heads around, but I think we've you know, kind of got it sussed. Yeah, okay, so um, if you just maybe want to tell us a little bit about your background, you know, how you got into poker, obviously. I usually always start with that one, but also... Um, you know, maybe if there was something else that sort of led you into poker, or was it just a direct jump? Um, yeah, I guess like when I was in my 20s, uh, I was quite into my sport. I did a lot of canoeing, and uh, I competed at quite a high level in that. And I guess like by the time I was 30, um, my curve had already peaked, and, you know, the... I didn't have the incentive, I suppose, to do all the training. You know, I was sort of training twice a day before work and after work. And uh, so I kind of hung up my paddles and um, didn't really do a lot hobby-wise for a couple of years. So I felt there was a little bit of a void. Uh, you know, there was I needed something competitive to, to get into. And um, it just so happened that I moved over to Dublin for a contract um for like 18 months and I started playing in, in my brother's home game mm-hmm. and I guess that coincided with uh, late night poker kicking off so all those things coming together and uh, I guess I've got a fairly addictive personality and I, I really enjoyed the poker and just kind of threw myself into it I suppose. Mm-hmm. So what were you you're working as when you said you moved to Dublin? Um, I was a structural draftsman okay. uh, contracting so um I did alright, and uh, yeah, like I say, I had a, a stint over there for like eighteen months. Yeah. So you say you know an addictive personality, which I think's sort of apparent in probably everybody that plays poker, or, or certainly yeah. you know t- takes an interest in it. It's amazing the similarities you know in personality. But was there any part of you that you know gambled? Did you like to, you were you recreational? You know, like sports betting or anything uh, like that. Never. No, I never put a bet on in my life, and still, I think I've put a bet on the national once, and that's about it, so, right. no, uh, not a gambler at, at all, uh, uh-huh. you know, I, I just like the the non-physical competitive nature of poker, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, well, I suppose it's, you know, many people compare it to chess and bridge and other mind sports and stuff like that, and, um, you know, it's, it's hard to convince some people when you say, you know, I'm a poker player, it's just... Because it's played in casinos, etc., it is just tarred with that, you know, gambling and stuff sometimes. You know, I'm sure yeah. you probably experience that. I don't think people's perception is quite as bad about poker as it used to be. Certainly when yeah. I was starting off, uh, you know, I had a job convincing my wife and then, you know, other people, I suppose, just saw it as gambling. And, you know, and quite a lot of them, I suppose, still refer to it as my gambling, um, which... Mm-hmm. 
which I, you know, I don't agree with at all. But um, I think, you know, poker's got a lot more popular over the last five years, you know, with it being on telly and stuff. Um, and obviously I've had some success, so that all kind of uh, makes it all right, you know. Yeah. So so when you were first starting out, what sort you know, you said your brother's home game. Um, yeah. What sort of was your progression, you know, onto the next level? Did you start really enjoying that and going for local tournaments or was it... Um, yeah, I, I was like far from a natural. Uh, you know, we, we didn't play for much. We probably played for, you know, five pound a night or something. But um, mm-hmm. I wasn't very good, but I just enjoyed it. And uh, I got a book, I suppose, after about six months and a few things fell into place. And uh, perhaps after like a year in the home game, I was doing all right. And I just wanted to take it further. So looked in the phone book. There was a club in Dublin called the Jackpot. Mm-hmm. And I just took myself off down there one night. They had like a £20 freeze out or something. And uh, yeah, I loved it. You know, it's quite nerve-wracking going in the first time, but uh, I was hooked. Yeah. And were you were you a winner from the start? You know, I know you say you weren't much of a natural, but when after a year in the home games and maybe doing a little bit of studying and stuff, did you sort of, you know, just take to it? Or did you have maybe even some beginner's luck or whatever that kept you hooked? Or I'd say I was fairly consistent in those sort of tournaments um, and it, funny enough it was the same sort of time uh, Marty Smith started about then he, he would travel down from the north mm-hmm. and I'd sort of see him in there regularly on a Friday night although he was uh, he was predominantly a cash player and would always play the cash whereas I'd always play the tournaments mm-hmm. uh, so there was a few faces you know sort of progressed up through the ranks I suppose from those days yeah so um, when you you know you're playing these local tournaments and stuff like that, and um, how how long did that sort of go on for before you sort of decided to take it you know a little bit more serious? Um, yeah. Were you still working at the time, obviously? And... Oh yeah, I was still working, and um, I think I probably satellited into either the Irish Open or the Irish Winter Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I had a little taste of some bigger tournaments, and then I would see my work finished in Dublin, and I moved back to Nottingham and. I guess from there, really, um, moving back to England gave me much greater scope to travel a little bit. So I'd I'd go to Sheffield, I'd go to Birmingham, to Walsall. You know, there was like four or five pretty decent clubs around. Yeah. And, you know, again, I was contracting, so my hours were kind of flexible. And I'd have a little tournament in the Rainbow in Birmingham on a Wednesday afternoon. I'd go down there. And, uh, yeah, I was really hooked, you know. um, And... I suppose over the next couple of years, uh, yeah, I just kind of grinded out the twenty-pound revis, and you know, occasionally sort of played some bigger tournaments. Mm-hmm. And did it just sort of develop from that? What was your first sort of uh, moment in the game? Like, what was your first sort of big score that you decided, right, I can, I can maybe start doing this, you know, a little bit more professionally and stuff like? How long was it before you, you know, sort of? Did you give up your job, or did you keep the job going while you were? I was quite conservative. Um, I think, you know, I, I was very driven, and I think uh, even while I was probably not long back from Dublin, I decided to go to the Master Classics in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone had told me um, that it was a really good event, and I think I took myself off there and you know played some of the side events. So I was really keen just to try and get that experience, mm-hmm. and. Um, Maybe it was just before that or just after I went to the Irish Winter Festival because my fa- my family live in Ireland, so we don't often go back there. And uh, I think I came, yeah, I came second to Ross Boatman in the Omaha tournament, and then I came second to Lucy Rocash in the main event. 
So they were two big scores. I'd, I probably cleared like 20,000 over the weekend, which was huge, you know. Like that's mm-hmm. probably, I don't know, 90, probably 2002 or something. Yeah. That was probably my first taste of, you know, some big faces like the Hender Mob will be there, Devilfish, all that sort of crowd. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that was a terrific boost. And, you know, I suppose from there on, you know, every couple of months I might jet off somewhere. You know, I used to go to Barcelona, they'd have some decent tournaments. Um, so very slowly, and all the time I, I would keep on working as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I suppose, like, my first big break was when the EPT started. Um, and I I missed the first one in Barcelona, but I went down to the Vic and played the one in London. Mm-hmm. I was pretty devastated because I bubbled the final table. I came ninth, and uh, I'd been like chip leader with nine left, which so is a bit oh. <laughs> frustrating. Um, but then two weeks later, there was an event in Dublin, EPG Dublin, and uh, I managed to squeeze into the final as a short stack. Mm-hmm. I think I went out seventh. But um, I had a stroke of luck there because um, Zuen Pham, uh, Steve Ladar's wife, was on the final table, and we got on well. And they were sponsored by William Hill at the time. Right. So I cashed out for seventh, uh, you know, went back home, went into the office the next day and uh, pretty much got a phone call out of the blue off William Hill saying, you know, that they'd like to stick me in a few events. And uh, that kind of led on to a, a, you know, a five-year sponsorship deal with William Hill. Uh, mm-hmm. Really sort of put me out there, I suppose. Yeah. So um, were you still working at the time during the sponsorship deal or was that the point? Yeah, started. I carried on. I carried on working for another year. Yeah, and probably only sort of doing twenty-five hours a week. Mm-hmm. But, but I suppose I didn't really want the pressure of just relying on you know poker money for getting by, and I, I yeah. just wanted that safety net. So, mm-hmm. well, th- this is sort of even well before the sort of massive, but you know, in recent years of this, the volume of players on the internet and the amount of tours and stuff now, isn't it as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, what year did Moneymaker win? Was that 2004 or was it 2005? I think it was 2004. I think Moneymaker, uh, I think Raymer won 2005. I think. Right, in that case, yeah, the, the, I got the deal late in 2004, so probably just after Moneymaker, which right. obviously, you know, sites were players. And, uh, and yeah, I think probably, you know, after about a year, I just thought, you know, what well, I was doing okay and... Uh, it was very hard to to do both, you know, to recover from late nights. And, you know, a lot of the tournaments now are becoming two-day events. Yeah. A bit more awkward. So, yeah, I finally took the plunge and uh, jacked in the job. Yeah. I suppose middle of 2005. Actually, it was even probably longer. Sorry to maybe put a couple of years on you, but Moneymaker was 2003, my mistake. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Hashem in 2007. I'm not sure who won 2005. Okay. All right, yeah. Moneymaker 2003, so... Yeah, anyway, early sort of, you know, turn uh, 2000 onwards. And um, what was your, so you, you, as I say, I, I love speaking to like older pros, you know, um, in, in the nicest sense. Uh, okay. <laughs> like yourself and Channing and, you know, Devilfish and stuff. It's it's a total, I think it's, you know, a, a total night and day between some of the other. I've interviewed, you know, like Jungle Man, uh, the online cash guy. And, yeah. He, you know, he worked in McDonald's at 17. He was right. playing cash. He came out $50 online and built it up to like $2 million. You know, it's... And he's, nice. yeah, yeah, very nice. And, you know, he's still only something like 21. So, yeah. 
there's a lot of guys I know and you know that, that love their poker and they've got families and they're trying. I know a couple just now specifically that are trying little things like they're trying to in their part time. Uh, say they got a part time job, they're they're working at nights online and taking it very serious. Uh, you know, sit and goes, cash games, whatever they're grinding. And yeah. uh, it just seems like a, a huge sort of uh, job, you know, to balance the two because the game is, you know, especially if you have an addictive personality, it, it can be all consuming. So how do you sort of like find time, you know, then, you know, and now I think you, you mentioned before you got four kids. Um, how do you sort of like find that balance? Was it more difficult, obviously, at the start? No, it's been a gradual process. And, you know, probably the most... The, the biggest change is that I'm, I'm not addicted to it now. You know, we're like probably even as little as two years ago, it would have killed me to miss a big event, you know, to miss an EPT. Yeah. You know, it would have to be something really important that had come up that I, I wouldn't be able to go. But um, I don't have that, I don't have that drive, I suppose, or that addiction to it anymore. Um, I can kind of take and leave the events, um, which I guess really, you know, with family life, you kind of need to have that flexibility. Yes. Yeah you know, it's just not going to work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, it just, it, it seems to be like, you know, now it's, you know, 30. I mean, I'm 28, and I feel like a dinosaur in poker. Yeah. Every event I go to, it's younger and younger people. You know, 18 is sort of like, <laughs> and I'm sure there's guys even younger playing on, you know, other people's and, and training. Definitely. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, you couldn't make it up really how it's changed, you know, so much so soon. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's all for the better and you know the players coming through now you know are so much better after you know a very short period of time really yeah yeah definitely um i was going to ask you about money management in terms of then but i think i think you sort of said you were you were very conservative in your approach to you know you kept your job um, you were working you know 25 hours while you were grinding poker and you certainly had a few substantial scores at that time so you weren't one of these people that you know won something for 30,000 and then packed the job in and considered himself a pro. No, no. And and to be honest, I was never playing cash games back then, so it's not like I'd suddenly just jump in the biggest cash game. Um, right. I, I guess, you know, because I came into it a little bit later and I'd already had, like, a, a working life, um, I guess I just appreciated the value of money. And, you know, I'd never really had any any decent sort of savings, I suppose. So, yeah, it, it just felt like a, a unique situation. And... Uh, you know something you know that I was very fortunate to have come across and you know be doing reasonably well at yeah so you know a lot of a lot of the pros I've spoken with they, they all always sort of push the slow and steady approach and it seems the consensus that is the proper way you know for people with poker and uh, you know in life in general take things small learn your trade build up slowly but it seems in this culture and especially every magazine about the next 19 year old that's just won a million dollar WPT or something, you know, people sort of want the success now, you know, and the, the young guys, especially like you mentioned, they're jumping into cash games way out their bankroll and stuff. So are you someone that would obviously say, take it slowly? And It's very different. And, um, you know, I think for people uh, kind of starting off, I imagine there's a lot more pressure on them than when I started, you know, because like you say, you only have to open a magazine and someone's, you know, shipped another million dollar event. Yeah, and you know, whereas when I started, I suppose the biggest event they had was like a hundred pound freeze out once a month or something. So, you know, it was much easier to to, to deal with that and you know find the buy-ins and stuff. 
Uh-huh. I've said that there's so many more events these days. You know, you can afford to be choosy, and there there is stuff for every pocket, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, um, if we sort of speak about, you know, you got you've had a few scores and stuff like that, and then the sponsorship deal came along with William Hill, and yeah. it lasted five years. So that was obviously, you know, a good relationship. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. Um, you know, um, obviously I did very well from it. You know, I wouldn't have been on the EPT circuit without that as much as I was for sure. So. Um, yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's very hard to achieve stuff like that without some sort of a deal or, you know, some sort of backing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you would you would know better than, than anyone, you know, with especially the live tournaments, players in the circuit, you know, you've played through the years. I can't remember who said it. I think it was it was maybe even someone like Daniel Regrano. He said it's, it's just so hard for anyone to make a living playing, you know, multi-table tournaments in this day and age, you know, with the... 5k to 10k buy-ins and make a make a living from it yeah definitely i mean you can get through a serious amount of money you know and the x's add up as well it's uh you know i, I suppose i did that life for about five years you know traveling to every event and whilst it's good you know the, the highs are high the lows are pretty low and you know it's it's not something i want to do forever and i think five years was about as much as i was prepared to put in it because it, it's quite grueling yeah so um, if if we talk about you mentioned at the EPT finish when you said you bubbled the final table and you were chip leader with nine yeah. left, yeah, um, you know, feel free to tell us a bad beat story or or how much was how much of that was maybe uh, the moment and it was such you know a big deal to to final table the event you you were chip leader how much was it sort of pressure and maybe like uh, you know a new thing for you to um, that magnitude or how much was it just I, I was pretty, I was very aggro back then, like, I had that nickname Yo-Yo, uh, and, you know, I, I would just get it in with any two, I just, you know, maximum pressure on people, yeah. um, I was very aware um, of how big the event was, I think, uh, like, it was 200,000 sterling for the winner, which was huge back then, mm-hmm. and it was televised, um, so I was totally aware of the situation, and, you know, that I didn't want to slip up, but um, I ran into aces twice, Mm. Uh, the first with tens and the second time with ace kings so mm. you know i don't really i think nowadays i would i'd probably um you know manage to wriggle away from that but back then uh, given the the way i was playing um it's just one of those unfortunate situations really and i couldn't yeah. find a sucker on either of them but, yeah. nowadays you get a ace queen and fours there you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah but, <laughs> so uh, uh so you went, you went from that, and then uh, if we take you to, um, I'm not sure on the timeline, I, ch- I checked the hand but I know you've won two G, uh, GUKPTs, the Grosvenor Tour, which yeah. are ma- you know, massive events in the UK, you know, in, in themselves, and, and to win two, you know, is a great feat. Um, the EPT uh, Baden that you won 2007 for your title, um, was was that before both the GUKPTs? Because I think they came relatively back. Yeah, like I had a- I had like a period, a 12-month period in between so 2007 and 2008. Um, I think I won the UKPT in Plymouth in August 2007, won the EPT in October, mm-hmm. and then I won the Brighton UKPT in January, and then I went to Vegas in the summer and I won the, the 5,000 main event at the Venetian. So it was a really, that was my golden patch really, you know, four, four main events in a year. Uh, uh-huh. So yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, the, the the UKPT kind of set the ball rolling, I suppose. And yeah, you know, it's the confidence you take off uh, 
winning something. And I'd won, I'd won um, one or two main events before, but obviously this, this was televised, it was a bigger field, and uh, yeah, it really meant a lot, that UKPT win. And uh, like I say, a couple of months later, I went off to Austria and you know ran well in that event, and that kind of just started things going. Yeah. So how, how much of it, you know, you touched on it there, and we see it time and time again with especially tournament poker. Um, someone goes cold, cold, they win an event, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like proverbial buses. It, it just, they can't stop winning it. How much of that is confidence, and how much of it is just this sort of, you know, if you look at it in terms of variance, it's just one of these purple patches, you know, like a sort of statistical anomaly that's going to happen, or, or how much of it is confidence and just... A lot of it. I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, I've, I've made a... The funny thing is I've made a few adjustments to my game because um, I think probably the year running up to that, I, I was always good at getting chips. You know, I'd always be chip lead at the end of day one, and I'd always slip up somewhere along the way, and I'd, I'd just kind of looked at my game again and tightened up a few places, and uh, and that, that really made the difference. So there was a little bit of a... You know, some technical adjustments, and... Yeah, like I say, once you can once you can score the first goal, it, it, it's easier to you know you've got that belief, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's now time for the sponsor strategy segment, brought to you by PokerXFactor.com. Hey everybody, this is Alex Cambaris for PokerXFactor.com. Sometimes the question of whether or not to steal the blinds isn't as simple as it looks. While most players know to assess the obvious factors like stack sizes, position, and hand strength, they often either forget or incorrectly assess other table dynamics. For example, did the players behind you or in the blinds just win a big pot? If so, they are more likely to take the next hand, or even the next few hands off, and make for great targets. If a player to your left re-raised you when you raised from a certain position in the previous orbit, he'll typically be less likely to attempt the same play again the next time around, and your path for stealing the blind should be slightly clearer. These are just two examples of the many table dynamics that can possibly come into play, even with your seemingly easiest decisions. Again, this has been Alex Cambaris for PokerXFactor.com. You mentioned, you know, the name Yo-Yo, obviously relating the nickname Yo-Yo for your yeah. Yo-Yo stack up and down. Yeah. If you compare your style then, um, I know it's very difficult. When you ask poker players, especially guys like yourself, nine times out of ten, the answer they give is they adjust to the situation at the table and, you know, and stuff like that. And obviously, that, that that's arguably, you know, everyone agrees that's the way to play poker. Sit down and play you know depending on the table etc but I I think I would argue that although that is the case there is still certain parts of someone's style everyone still has a style that no matter what they're not going to do you know certain things or they're not or they can't pull the trigger in you know in certain spots and stuff and what was your sort of style like then you say we're very aggressive for the EPT win and the GPT what were you sort of playing I just reined it in a little bit um not as relentlessly aggressive, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I wasn't gambling as much, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I could still pull the trigger, you know, in big pots and stuff, but um, it wasn't as reckless. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I think that kind of coincided with, a, you know, a more sort of aggressive style in general uh, happening in tournament poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Whilst that was on the up, I'll, I'll probably just slip back a little bit, and uh, it seemed to work well, you know. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, it was. I mean, that was some year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be, nice, it'd be nice to repeat it. Yeah. 
Um, so if we just sort of take the, the bad in, and you know, you say that to, to win an event like that, I mean, the GUKPT obviously, you know, it, again, it, it was a, a huge event. These, these tournaments are huge in the UK, but to win something like an EPT there with, with that quality of field, I mean, th- did you feel like, you know, n- not it was, uh, I don't want to say a monkey off your back because you've obviously had results pre- prior to it, but how much of it was just a sense of sort of achievement and did that sort of like make you look at the game differently in terms of you mentioned that you weren't addicted to it. did it mention did it make you sort of slightly less uh i don't want to say less hungry maybe sort of less like a rush to to win a tournament or something like that if if you know what i mean yeah no there's there's no doubt it was um yeah i guess it was a huge relief to to win one um you know by the time my final table the 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 one that i won I'd had a few final tables before on the EPT circuit, and uh, I think I just felt a bit more relaxed, and I felt I was the best player at the table, a bit more confident, a bit more sure of myself. Um, but yeah, there was it, it was certainly an amazing feeling after having played uh, four seasons of EPTs, uh, you know, to finally bag one. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I guess, part relief and, and you know, just uh, joy about it, really. Uh-huh. And obviously the money as well was huge, and you know I'd never won money like that before, so yeah, it ticked uh, quite a few boxes. Yeah. So in that event, were was it a sort of from what point did you know that you thought right, I could I could win this, or were there points where it was creeping in? Did you did you ever doubt yourself through the event, or sort of feel you know coming up to a big big point again, or or worry about that? Were you very much in control and sort of like level headed all all the way through it? Um, I had a really bad start. I, I did half my chips to Barry Greenstein in the first level, which is never good. Um, no. um, but I just kind of knuckled down and grounded through the first day, and um, I hit a couple of I hit a couple of two adders, uh, you know, like jacks against kings, all in pre against the short stack. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you, you need to sort of be hitting things like that, you know, when you're facing on the short stacks. Yeah, I think uh, I think. Quite near the final table, like with 12 left, uh, I got out in the big pot with Pascal Perot. I think he was on the... No, I was on the bottom with aces. Mm-hmm. And he had ace-queen in the small blind. And we were both chipped up, and we got it all in pre. And I, that, that kind of put me right up there at the top of the chips. And uh, I never really looked back, I suppose. I got a little bit lucky four-handed. Um, I got in with a pair and a flush draw against trips. And hit my flush on the turn, so... Yeah, there's a couple of key pots. Uh-huh. But, you know, you don't win a tournament without uh, winning those key spots, even okay. if you are a little bit behind. Yeah. So um, after that, I was again, I was looking through your Hendon mob, and you mentioned earlier you moved back to Nottingham. Is is that where you're still based? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've been in Nottingham ever since, yeah. So it's, I mean, that's some place for a poker player to live now, isn't it, with Dust Till Dawn? Yeah, no, I know... Um, I know, I've known Rob for many years, you know, we used to play at the gala, that's Rob Young who owns Dust Till Dawn, so, uh-huh. yeah, I was kind of there, you know, when he was first talking about it, and when he started to get it off the ground, and yeah. uh, it's fantastic, I think it's been going about three years now, and uh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, um, for people that, you know, aren't in the UK, Dust Till Dawn is the UK's biggest poker club, and it's, I've not been myself yet, Julian, uh, which is, you know, terrible, but uh, I'm up in Scotland, so uh, it's a bit of a trek um, for some of the games. But 
is it just poker, isn't it? There's no table games or anything in there, is no, it? Introduced, they've introduced like four blackjack tables, I think, and there's some other oh. machines. Okay, so for the real degenerates. Yeah, yeah. They can get onto the blackjack. Yeah, it's predominantly a poker club. Yeah, and it's it's they they hold massive events. I think um, up until recently, with that GUKPT Goliath, I think they held the record for the biggest tournament in the UK attendance or something, didn't they? Yeah, they've got like fifty tables, so they can hold. You know, they can quite comfortably hold you know events for four hundred and fifty, five hundred people on any one day. So yeah, there's not not very many many venues in Europe that can can cope. They seem to do a lot of good tournaments. Like I, I saw you won the the Monte Carlo structure one at the Dustal Dawn. Yeah, yeah they um, do three times a year now. Yeah, was that just last year you won that? Or? I know it was early this year. It might have been. Uh, I think it was April. Early this year. Yeah, it's like um, it's based on it's modelled on an EPT. You get thirty thousand chips, one hour levels. So yeah, it's it's a really good event, and you know you, you get like two hundred and fifty runners for it. So it's good. Yeah, it, it seems good. I was looking at it. It seems an amazing structure for a, yeah. you know, a one k buy-in. Yeah, and it's definitely worth trying to satellite in if you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, you know, it's a great Nottingham. You know, especially when you say even back, you know, back in the early two thousands, you had the surrounding area. You know, it's a real poker hotspot in the UK, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the Midlands has, has been quite strong, definitely. Yeah. Um. So just now, you're uh, sponsored by Sky Poker. That's right. And um, what's the what's the sort of script there? How did that come about? Um, it came about. Um, I had a once the deal with William Hill ended. Um, I got a deal with PokerStars, and that only lasted a year. Um, and that, I think that in part, you know, we were expecting our fourth child in January this year. So last year wasn't really good for me uh, with regard to traveling and stuff, and. I just don't think I performed uh, enough, you know, for a big company like PokerStars. Obviously, they like their players to, you know, be quite high profile. And, um, yeah, I didn't even use all the budget that I got. Um, so, so that ended in February. Um, and I don't know whether you know, but I've been good friends with uh, Tony TK Candle pretty much forever, or, you know, since I started playing poker. And right. uh, he's been... He's sort of been heavily involved in Sky Poker, and um, when I was didn't have a deal, um, I wasn't looking for a deal. I wasn't. Uh, I felt I'd sort of been around the block a bit and was quite happy just sort of grinding out the cash games at Dustle Dawn. But uh, fortunately for me, Tony uh, pulled a few strings, and uh, I got a very nice deal with Sky Poker. Yeah, that, that's great. It's actually quite funny because Sky Poker was the first. Uh, poker tournament I ever played. It was, oh, was it really? Yeah, um, I've only been playing uh, four years, so 2007, I got a disc through my door from Sky Poker, and um, I'm the opposite of you. I've always been a bit of a gambler and, you know, a degenerate with betting, fruit machines, horses, right. uh, <laughs> some some other uh, stocks and shares, I would consider that gambling just as much. Yeah, um, and I got the disc through, and I said, oh, I'll put it on, and I played a tournament. I can't remember what but I remember it was the great thing about Sky Poker, uh, which is quite good. I certainly enjoyed it, especially for people you know starting out. Is they cover some of the tournaments on Sky on the Poker Channel or Sky's yeah. Poker Channel, don't they? Yeah, no, it's um, I'm I'm really pleased with it, and uh, I'm I'm sort of hoping I can see out a few more years there. But um, everyone everyone works there, super keen. Uh, 
you know, they know where they want the brand to go and it's, it's growing ever so fast. Um, and there's a really good team of people. There's, there's probably like nine um, other sort of Team Sky pros and, you know, we regularly sort of see them at all the events around the UK and the Sky Poker Tour is really good. We just had an event at um, Dust Till Dawn last week. So, you know, for where I am at the moment in my poker career, I've got four kids. I'm not into playing on the EPT circuit and traveling. You know, I'm quite happy just doing a couple of weeks in Vegas in the summer and then playing, you know, UK and Ireland events. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Sky, Sky fits that perfectly. Yeah. Well, no, I, I really enjoyed it. And you get your, if you're lucky, you know, they're looking at certain tables and they, they read out, like, my username and stuff like that. And, that. and that was the first time I'd ever played poker. So I thought everything was going to be like that, you know. <laughs> now, the, the, the TV show is fantastic. Um they they drag me down there like I don't know once every six weeks to to sit in between Tony and uh, Richard Alford or James Hartigan and you know do some analysis. Um, but they get some really good guests on there. You know, um, it's it's still kind of out of my comfort zone. But they have people like Channing on and Jamie Burland and you know yeah. that's Stuart Rutter. So they have some really good uh, analysis on there. Uh huh. Uh-huh. No, it's um it's certainly good. Now I'll put a link in the the blog on oneouter.com when the podcast's up for, you know, people that want to check out Sky Poker yeah. and stuff as well. Um, so um, I bumped into you at the UK IPT, well, Newcastle and also Edinburgh. And, yeah, um, so Edinburgh, there we, which one did we play in together? Was it Edinburgh? Edinburgh, yeah, Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah I, I got moved to your table uh, and you were on my left. So it was close to the end of the day, though, so I just sort of thought, well, we'll see what happens. I think we both had chips, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I had, I got moved to the table with about uh, 67 or 70,000 or something. I think you're about the same or, or slightly more. Yeah. Um, how did you find these UK IPTs? I think, I think they're very good. I think they're the best events uh, going at the moment. Um, I think, you know, you get... There's a lot of publicity behind the event winners. Uh, obviously, they're televised. Um, I think... I think the UK, the GUKPTs are still good, but I do think uh, the UK IPTs are the better events. You know, they're half the price. Uh, you get much bigger fields, and you just get more bang for your buck, I suppose. Yeah. Well, fr- from my point of view, that's uh, you know, I take I take poker. Uh, I-, I work for myself, so I can play as much poker as I sort of want. I'm in that lucky, you know, fortunate right. position. But by no means am I a professional poker player. Um, but I find myself that that 550 just seems to be the sweet spot, you know, for a big buy-in tournament once a month or whatever. I think I've never played the GUKPT because I've always thought, again, being based in Scotland, you know, you've got the grand entry plus your travel plus your hotel. You know, it soon racks up. Uh, well, quite often, I mean, I played Luton like two months ago and I hadn't played one for like a year. But obviously I've seen them on the updates and seen the results and... I don't think it's good if you're forking out a grand or eleven hundred pound, and you know, first prize might not even be fifty. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not really. You know, it's a lot of work. Uh-huh. You know, you can run well, and you know, it's not. It's probably not the best return on investment. Yeah, but uh, these you know, uh, UK. Yeah, the UK IPT, as I say, the fields just keep getting. I mean, Edinburgh. I think the Corn Exchange is a great venue for it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of it's unfortunate, I suppose, that it's such an expensive time of year with the fringe being on. But, uh, yeah, I heard that people with uh, luckily I stay just an hour down the road, but people were getting charged crazy prices for hotels, you know, in Edinburgh for the UKPT. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, I'm, I'm actually missed. 
I think Dublin was on last week, but that clashed with the Sky Poker Tour event. But uh, I look forward to playing a few of them next year, definitely. Yeah. So um, just talking about like playing these UK IPTs and stuff, and obviously without giving you you know too much of your strategy away or anything, I'm not here to 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 be Sorry. a leech on your brain. But you know when I sat at your table and and we sat and we played, and how do you sort of tackle? You know that player was a pretty mix of players, shall we say? I mean there was that guy. Um, they pretty much had the majority of the chips on the table. Uh, he was already there when I got moved. I think he was in seat, let me think, one, two, three. He was like f- maybe seat five, something like that. And oh, he's he, testing my memory now. Right. Okay, <laughs> and, and he was playing very much like, you know, every second hand at least. And he was limping under the gun and stuff like this. And just from sitting watching him for, you know, maybe the, from half an hour to an hour's worth of play, he was just seemed like, you know, he'd had a drink, etc. He was limping in and then limping under the gun. He was raising uh, under the gun, min raise, things like that. And right. he was playing pretty much any two. I mean, I got to show them with him a couple of times. He's turning over, like, limped under the gun, king three of diamonds and stuff like that. And then there was obviously a few decent players as well. So how do you sort of, like, tackle, um, you know, hands with, like, with, with someone like that? Because... I remember you played a hand with uh, tens and you flopped a set and you played it very cagey uh, and the guy ended up hitting the nut flush on the river. I think oh, you had I two that. kings pre, yeah? yeah? I remember that now, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, just a sort of like overall sort of strategy for like tackling a table like that? Um, probably a lot of pot control, you know. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly uh, you know, pot control out of position. But, uh, you know, that... I can't specifically remember the person you're talking about, but from how you've described it, yeah, that, that, that's that's what you want at your table. Someone with lots of chips playing like that, you know, and you know you can just call behind, take flops, and and you know take it from there, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just not looking to obviously play a big pot uh, unless you've got it with someone like that, because you yeah, know, playing you... your terms, you know, when you're ready and when when you think you can, uh, you know, apply enough pressure to get it through, I guess. Yeah. I think the UK IPT, what I've found, I mean, I've played, I think I've played three of them. I played Newcastle and Edinburgh this year, and I played Coventry last year. I think it's three. Um, and I found the standard to be very good on certain tables because you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get the recreational players, but then there's a lot of very good players that have qualified online. There's a lot of good young online players that play these things. Uh, have, you, have you found that with with the field? It's a very mixed bag. Yeah, I think it's very. Um, I think like any with any of these events, it, it's very table dependent, and it all comes down to the, the table draw. You know, there's so much uh, luck involved in that. Um, you know, you can have a good table, or you can have a terrible table, or something in between. That there's there's no way of predicting. But yeah, there's certainly there's certainly some quite weak players and certainly some very good players you know yeah. it's just a mixed bag uh-huh. so um what do you think about tournament poker then in general all these these years of experience and i'm not trying to age you again but all these all this so- experience you've got um for guys playing now and you know people say uh, online and live etc but poker's still poker and there's still variance and upswings and downswings and so what's what's the sort of tip on dealing with say say a bad patch for these guys you know like People just keep bubbling final tables or last two tables in huge tournaments and they just feel like they're almost cursed and they don't seem to be getting anywhere. I, 
I guess my answer to a lot of those sort of things is it, it is just sample size. Um, I, th I think every every tournament player knows how painful it is, you know, to to run deep and to not quite get there. Um, you know, all you can do is you know review your sessions and you know try and improve or you know avoid some spots or get into different spots. But um, a lot of it just comes down to variance. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, and, and, in, and in live poker, uh, you don't really get a huge sample size, certainly not compared to, um, you know, compared to playing online. Yeah. And, you know, the, these days, a lot of uh, live tournaments, you know, have really big fields, which, which makes them harder to overcome just because of the variance that you have to run through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone famously said there's sort of no long run in life tournament poker. Yeah, I've, I've I've heard that quite a lot recently, actually. Yeah, and it's probably true, you know. And it's again that that's probably the difference to, you know, for someone like me who got their break, you know, a few years back now. You know, it probably was a lot easier to get that break because you know you were looking at two and three hundred runner fields, and uh -huh. uh, you know the average skill set wasn't as high as it would be now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with online, um, with part of Sky, I assume that you you know you play a lot on on Sky Poker as well. Yeah, no, um, it was it's kind of awkward over the summer holidays, um, mm -hmm. you know, with kids running around and stuff. But um, now I'm playing, I'm sort of focusing more on cash now, so um, trying to get a few hours in, you know, during the day, and uh, I play the MTTs at night. Mm -hmm. And how do you how do you find the online tip game? Do, do you play much? I mean, obviously you were with William Hill, which had an online skin, or still has an online skin, and then Poker Stars, and how do you sort of find your game online, your your tournament game, you know, specifically? Um, tournament game's okay. I, I, it's funny, I, I kind of find it at night, um, it depends, like, whether I'm, whether I lock myself in the office, or whether I sort of, you know, just get the laptop out and watch a bit of telly at the same time, so I think in the evenings, you know, if it's been a hard day, my focus probably isn't 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I'll probably just tread water in the tournaments. I uh, don't always take them that seriously. Um, yeah. But the cash is something I'm trying to take more seriously. Um, and, yeah, I'm sort of grinding the, the tables on there, and it's so far it seems to be going okay. Um, and, you know, I'm getting to know a lot of the players as well, which is good. Mm -hmm. it's, it seems that uh, a, a thing I find with playing, because once I started, as I say, I played the first hand of poker, Texas Hold'em I ever played, was online on Sky Poker four years ago and then I started playing live at the local uh, gala casino and played live there for you know two three years um, and I sort of then found myself back into online but I find I concentrate much better live which seems absurd because it should be more boring because you're only getting you know x amount of hands per hour but I just find my focus is it's it's easier live to sort of take the game Seriously, I don't know if it's just a mental block sometimes with playing online. It's it's like a, a game or something, a computer game, and yeah, you're not really that, invested or something. Yeah, I think part of that is the, you know the obviously you make an an effort to get to the venue as well, and that's all part of it. Whereas I think online it's it's very easy just to you know turn on the computer, jump on, and not really giving it any thought whatsoever. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely. I think. You know, mindset is something that's very important, you know, to sit down, you know, with some sort of specific goals in mind, you know, as to how you're going to attack the session. Yeah. Rather 
rather than just sort of, you know, doing it by road, I suppose. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, I have found with, uh, you know, these tools like Hold'em Manager and stuff like that, um, someone recommended that to me just last year. Uh, uh-huh. And I started using that since last, about November, and my game totally changed online because it's giving you stats and stuff for tournaments that things you're picking up when you're playing live, you know, you're taking it in uh, your mind because you're noticing how many pots a guy's open. But if you're playing online and you're watching TV and stuff, I don't care what anyone says, if you're playing more than one table, you're not really paying attention if you don't have Hold'em Manager or Poker Tracker or one of these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's weird. I, I used um, Hold'em Manager um, last year when I was with Stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I only really scratched the surface, but yeah, wow, it really, it really does open your eyes as to, you know, what these top online players are doing. Yeah. On Sky, you can't use that software. Um, right. I almost find that quite refreshing. It's more like of a level playing field, I suppose. Yeah, well, that's the argument just now. Yeah, yeah, so I, I, I quite like it like that. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm not, don't get me wrong, I thought the Holder Manager was an amazing package, and uh, it certainly gets you thinking about um, the different aspects of, you know, the technical aspects of the game. But yeah. um, I think it's quite nice having a site where you, you don't have that. Yeah. Well, people it's, it's people get put off with it. Yeah, well, I think I think a lot of people probably don't even aren't even aware. Yeah. On you know, most recreational players wouldn't have a clue, would they? That, that you know, the the pros are using this. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's a lot of people don't even like their uh, results being available on tracking sites, etc., and stuff. So I think that's the next sort of big thing with on. I mean, online poker in the US has got enough problems just now, but. One of the issues is still, you know, people's results and stuff like that. But I think going back to the live thing with iPhone, I think people make different decisions when there's a group of other human beings sitting watching them at a table. You know, it's sort of, they wouldn't make maybe his call is light, etc. Whereas online, it's too easy to just, I want to see it and call, spike call or, you know, whatever. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah that's it. So um, what is the sort of the rest of this year? You know, Vegas is over now, obviously. You've Unfortunately, not made the November nine, Julian. <laughs> no, try the seventh <laughs> attempt it was. So maybe maybe attempt number eight next year. We'll see. Yeah. So uh, what's the rest of the year sort of hold for you? Um, I'm going. There's um, there's a, the English Deep Stack uh, event is on at the Broadway tomorrow, five hundred pound event. I'm going there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in two weeks I'm going to go to Killarney for the Gladbrooks uh, Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. We've got the next, the new Sky Poker Tour starts at the end of October, the first legs at DTD. Right. Um, we've got the DTD Monte Carlo event, so it's just kind of local stuff, you know. Um, I think the only overseas trip is Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not Dublin, sorry, Killarney um, in a couple of weeks. But right. That's pretty much it. Um, there's a couple of GUKPTs, uh, probably the Blackpool might do the, the big one at the Vic. I'd like to go to Amsterdam, but I just don't know if we're going to be able to juggle it, so we'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Well, certainly, um, you seem to have a, ni- a nice lifestyle, just, you know, happy family, four kids, and you can play poker, which is a lot of people forget with poker. It should be an enjoyable game and stuff that you can pick and choose your tournaments, and you seem to be in that lucky position that you can do that, so things seem to be going good. It's, it's kind of strange, like, it's... You know, when I when I get a Dustle Dawn, I just play, you know, the one, two, and um, people obviously, 
see me and they think, oh yeah, this guy's won this, I won that, if they know me. And, you know, I think people, people's perception is that, you know, you should still be, you know, playing the biggest cash games or, you know, still be going to all the EPTs. But to be honest, that's behind me now. And um, I just want a steadier, you know, steadier life, really, not as much traveling and quite happy just, you know, grinding out a little bit every week and uh, getting by, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, financial security for yourself and your family. And then if you can play tournament and decent poker tournaments and stuff and still bring, you know, you're still getting your fix of the game and it's it's a nice balance. I think it's a balance that a lot of people would, you know, snap your hand off for. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure if I was, you know, 20 years younger, I'd be gagging to get to the next DPT or whatever the next big, you know, million dollar event was. But, uh, yeah. I don't know, the older you get, I suppose, you get a bit more conservative and, uh, you know, I've done all that, so now I'm just quite happy just, you know, getting by and uh, spend a bit more time at home, I suppose. Yeah. Well, Julian, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'm sure there's plenty of life in the old dog yet. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> and I'll hopefully maybe see you at uh, Dust Till Dawn if I make it down for... I'll, t- well, I'll have a look at the schedule um, for that Monte Carlo one, because that looks a good event. Um, yeah, if yeah. Up the satellites or stuff. And if not, I'll no doubt b- bump into you next year at the UK IPT. Yeah, I shall be up there, yeah, definitely. Okay, okay, Julie. Thank you very much, yeah. Cheers. Thanks.